Thank you very much. First of all, I want to thank Dr. Zhang for inviting me here, and it's a great honor to uh, talk about our work here. So I'd be happy to exactly show what, what's going on in my laboratory right now. The topic here, you guys already know that it's, it's about insulin converts a positive energy imbalance into insulin resistance. <clears throat> so right now we have several projects going on. First one is about regulation of hepatic gluconeogenesis, specifically by P38 mapokinase. It's on. Can you guys hear me? Okay. The second one is about regulation of hepatic lipogenesis, primarily by P38 mapokinase. The third one is uh, we try to identify some new insulin receptor isoforms. And the focus today is about the role of uh, uh, insulin in the development of insulin resistance. I'm not going to talk about all of them. I'm going to focus on the last one, but I will tell you a little bit about this other stuff we worked on. For example, this is the gluconeogenesis regulation. This is uh, the key uh, enzymes, PAPCK and G6 space. We tried a little bit of everything, trying to find a way to block gluconeogenesis in order to control blood glucose level in diabetes. And uh, most specifically, we worked on the P38 mapokinase, the role. Uh, of this candidacy in the transcription of these genes. And also, we try to bypass the insulin signaling bottleneck of the IRS1, trying to find some way to bypass this bottleneck. We work on defensing stroma cell derived uh, factor 1. Actually, both of them can suppress gluconeogenesis through this pietric kinase and AKT. And also, we uh, work with uh, a couple of pharmaceutical companies, work with some compounds, a glucocoid antagonist, and also. Another one is supposed to be antioxidant. I found out actually it can also suppress gluconeogenesis. So we did a little bit of everything trying to block the stimulatory pathway and to promote the inhibitory pathway of gluconeogenesis. But the end project, end product, uh, like results like this, whenever we try to block gluconeogenesis, we always cause fat liver. For example, this is one of the examples when we block uh, P38 mapokinase in the you know, animals, to be black sex mice. As you can see here, this is normal mice, this hyperdiet caused by the liver. But if we, if we block gluconeogenesis, the fatty liver is much more severe. This is consistent with many other previous uh, like, uh, findings. When we block gluconeogenesis, you, got a, you get fatty liver. For example, if we knock out PEPCG gene, you also cause fatty liver. And uh, it's the exact reason is not clear, but uh, my belief is probably because Normally, gluconeogenesis happened only during the fasting phase, so during catabolism phase. If you block gluconeogenesis, the calorie has to go somewhere. Most likely, it's go to fat. So that's why uh, when we try to, you, if you try hard to control blood glucose levels through gluconeogenesis, it's almost bound to cause fatty liver, and then maybe eventually cause uh, insulin resistance. So this is about this part. And that's also why we get into this regulation of hepatic lipogenesis by Peter mapokinase. It's kind of accidentally we got into it. And then this here I show a little bit about the, the identification of some new insulin receptor isoforms. Right now we know in human we have A and B forms. In mouse actually people only saw have seen A forms. But uh, one of my postdocs, he used to work on he's a genome guy. He knows almost every base of the genome how we got each base. And also, he's an expert in on his splicing. So he thought probably we might have, uh, there might be some like more insulin receptor isoforms through splicing. And also, I worked uh, on splicing for a couple of years before I uh, worked on obesity, diabetes. 
So he went to predict uh, some forms and then use uh, design some primer. He found out quite a few several uh, like isoforms, at least the RNA level, and uh, he cloned them. Some of them we have uh, proved in the protein, but now some of them haven't yet. And the interesting here, like you see here, some forms. Excuse me. These two forms have uh, some defect in kinase domain. This map kinase domain. This is both map kinase domain. The tyrosine kinase domain is gone, and these two has a defect in insulin receptor binding domain. Actually, we found out this one actually, uh, but in the insulin binding domain, there's two over here. One's over here, one's over here. So when this one is gone, actually, this binding insulin tighter than the so-called A5 A form. And there's also we found some. Uh, at these two free insulin receptor isoforms, which do not have uh, intracellular domain or transmembrane domain. And it's been shown a long time ago that uh, in the blood of diabetes people, type 2 diabetes, they have increased the level of free insulin receptor in the blood. They start probably from a shedding, but based on our results, probably at least some of them is from alternative splicing. It's highly regulatable. So now we talk about, focus on today's. Uh, uh, focus, the insulin resistance. Uh, you guys know more than I do about how, what is the insulin resistance about. It is a precursor or component of many modern major health problems, including diabetes, obesity, metabolic syndrome, diabetes, cardiovascular diseases, uh, non-alcoholic fatty liver, Alzheimer's disease, depression, chronic inflammatory disease, asthma too, and some cancers and aging, you name it. Well, Wherever you get a good life, you have go through trouble, and then you're more likely to have an insulin resistance. And if it's not all, at least a majority, in a majority of these people, the primary cause is the positive, the positive energy imbalance. Wherever you get more energy than you need in your body, eventually you're going to have a decreased insulin sensitivity, even though maybe it's not severe enough to cause insulin resistance yet, but you're going to have desensitized insulin signaling. But exact cause, the connection between this positive energy imbalance and the insulin resistance is everybody's belief, everybody has different saying. So we're trying to figure out something over here, how this happened. So I went to dig some literature about finding, to look at the opposite models which have increased insulin sensitivity. For example, caloric restriction, gross hormone knockout, gross hormone deficiency, and the respiratory treatment, they all have increased insulin sensitivity. And also, they have increased mitochondrial production or function, decreased oxidative stress. And they also have decreased fasting plasma insulin level. And the basal AKD-dependent insulin signaling in the liver at least is decreased in these models. So we went to, so as you see, when we, this is the comeback to insulin resistance. When we have insulin resistance, you always have hyperinsulinemia. Dr. Ross said, who is caught, who is the horse? They said, no, this is still debating. So I went to, as you, you know that, the people with, a majority of people with insulin resistance and hyperinsulinemia, they never developed diabetes. 85% probably, only about 15% will eventually drop into diabetes. That means their classical AKT-dependent insulin signaling is functional, because in order to control blood glucose level normal, the classical AKT-dependent insulin signaling has to be working, otherwise it cannot control your blood glucose level. So since, uh, so, so we wanted to do some uh, very simple experiment. We feed the animal with a uh, hyper diet, uh, this black six mice for eight weeks, and then measure the fasting blood glucose level and the insulin, as you can see here. 
of the eight weeks, the Balaguzala was not significant change yet, but the insulin level is dramatically increased. And then we if, if use a homer or quickie to calculate the insulin sensitivity, definitely the insulin sensitivity is decreased. And then we measure the uh, basal level of AKT uh, phosphorylation in the liver and the muscle, gastrocnemius. As you can see here, the basal level is higher than the animals on the high-fat diet. And actually, a few days ago, we got some more data to support this. We measured the insulin receptor, actually, in these animals, semi-animals. The insulin receptor, the known form, the like A form, actually, is also increased by the high-fat diet. This is, this is in contrast to what we previously believe in the presence of insulin resistance hyperinsulinemia. Insulin receptor is downregulated. Actually, we don't see it. Even in the pre-form of insulin receptors, all increased at this, at this stage by the high-fat diet. So since insulin is uh, functional uh, in controlling all the glucose in these animals, the glucose level is normal, right? Insulin is functional, even in the presence of insulin resistance. And uh, since the insulin is functional, that means it's, it's doing its uh, other jobs too. Like, for example, promoting lipogenesis, inhibiting lipolysis, and the fat oxidation. This is the basic function of insulin. When that happens, you'd believe fat will accumulate. That's exactly what we have to the animals, right? So we want to check some uh, uh, key factors involved in lipogenesis in liver and uh, muscle. Uh, several of them, as you can see here, this uh, SAVP1, 2, and the fatty acid synthesis, they are all increased by the high-fat diet, significantly or marginally. But in the muscle, it's also increased, but not as dramatically as in the liver, as you can see here. So next one, we measure some uh, fat oxidation gene program. As you can see here, the fat oxidation, the key, uh, several key genes over here. So, uh, some of them significantly decrease. Some of them tend to decrease. Mainly it's in the muscle, in the liver. But in muscle, actually, it's the opposite. They tend to increase, even though it did not re reach statistical significance, but look like it's a little different between organs. So we. The, uh, the bottom line is when we measure triglyceride content in both the liver and the gastrocnemius, the uh, triglyceride content in the liver and the muscle both increased. But in liver, reached the statistics of significance, but in muscle, it's a little bit short to reach the statistical significance. So right now we tied these two together, insulin resistance hyperinsulinemia and the ectopic fat accumulation, but uh, it's not Still not clear what is who is the horse, who is the cart, right? So when they do some, uh, there's some disconnection here. It's everybody's believe now that right, so insulin resistance, uh, hyperinsulinemia is tightly related to ectopic fat accumulation because when fat is only accumulating fat tissue, actually it may, it may not cause trouble, but when fat getting into uh, liver or muscle, it may cause trouble, almost like. A, Ectopic fat accumulation is essential or necessary for the presence of insulin resistance hyperinsulinemia. But there's some disconnection here, as you can see, from the so-called athlete paradoxical triglyceride accumulation. These people have a good insulin sensitivity, even though they have increased the triglyceride accumulation in the muscle. Another example is fatty liver do not necessarily uh, correlate with insulin resistance. There are many models, several models reported that actually recently in our department, there were some 
systems, uh, that when they knock out uh, one genes associated with the colon uh, metabolism, they also found that animals have fat liver, but it has a fat insulin sensitivity. So, so fat liver or fat in the triglyceride, triglyceride in the muscle may not necessarily cause insulin resistance. So how does it happen? So we went, so we went to study mitochondria to see how this, what happened to the mitochondria. These uh, genes are associated with mitochondrial biogenesis, that is in the liver and uh, in gastric lemurs. As you can see, uh, some of the genes associated with mitochondrial biogenesis is decreased. Most of them tend to decrease. Some of them reach the significant significance. In the muscle, uh, we saw a little bit different, but none of them reach statistical significance. So we went, went to mesh, measure mitochondrial DNA content. That means kind of like a DNA mass, uh, like a mitochondrial mass in both the liver and the gastric lemurs. You can see uh, actually both of them decreased in, in the muscle, or in, in, in both muscle and the gastric lemurs, which indicate probably mitochondrial biogenesis probably severely decreased in these animals. And uh, mitochondrial mass or DNA may not necessarily cause insulin resistance. Uh, so we think probably mitochondrial function associated with this problem. At least ATP probably is, uh, is in production. Uh, one of the basic functions of ATP probably is not associated with this, uh, insulin resistance because it's repeatedly shown that when ATP production in mitochondria decreases, actually, it can promote AMP kinase and then stimulate insulin secretion, like uh, sensitivity, actually. So we thought probably uh, went to dig the literature about the ours. Mitochondria derived the reactive oxygen species. It's been shown that in animals, in cultural cells, if you block RS production, uh, either cytokine or fatty acid cannot induce insulin resistance in those animals. You only need to block the RS in the liver, actually. It can prevent insulin resistance. So we went to measure some uh, indexes about oxidative stress in both the liver and uh, muscles. And you can see here, there's some uh, oxidative stress response some of the stress genes uh, tend to increase or significantly or tend to increase, particularly in the liver. In muscle, we see similar, but it's not as significant in muscle, uh, in liver, sorry. So we measure the GS, G, GSH and uh, GSG ratio in both liver and the gastric lemurs. As you can see, high fat diet indeed reduced uh, this uh, ratio and uh, suggesting uh, there's a uh, oxidative stress in both liver and the gastric lemurs. So we made the connection, but this insulin resistance like coupled with fat accumulation, mitochondrial production, and oxidative stress. We still don't know who is the card and who is the horse. So in order to understand it better, so we draw this little diagram. This is a, with, with the things in the normal situation, the plasma insulin or insulin signaling AKT activation is fluctuated a few times after each meal after each meal, insulin secretion, and go back and go back and then the basal level. In the presence of insulin resistance, hyperinsulinemia, uh, they also have insulin surge, but overall the basal levels increased. So we're trying to see whether we can get rid of this excess exposure to insulin during this uh, fasting phase to see what happened to the insulin sensitivity. <coughs> Here is the data. We treat the animal with high-fat diet or normal diet for four weeks. And then last week, some of animals, we treat, uh, some animals, we treat them 
with insulin uh, a catalytic inhibitor LY294002. As you can see here, this normal diet is uh, minus plus LY compound with basal AKT level. Hyper diet increase this uh, level here, and also uh, this is increased. It's prevented by LY compound. We treat the animal only uh, during daytime when animal is supposed to be sleeping. This results after overnight fasting. So this is the basal level. It's the, the, the direct effect of LY compound should be long gone. And this result, this quantification, we also measure the insulin receptor in all these animals. To believe it or not, in this animal, actually, even in this animal, when we block the insulin signaling here, actually this basal insulin receptor is also increased, the A form of uh, also the preform, sorry. In this one, hyperdiet also increased uh, the basal, the, the level of insulin receptor, and uh, you believe it or not, this is the highest level of insulin receptor in this group, both hyperdiet plus block insulin signaling. This is much higher than these groups. So if you calculate the insulin sensitive, uh, the sensitivity, as you can see, this blood glucose, in these animals, they are not significantly different. But plasma insulin level, as you can see here, is increased by the hyperdiet. This increase actually was reversed or prevented by the pediatric cancer inhibitor. This is the calculation just. So we treat them only one week. Only one week. Daily, yeah, after the one week. Daily. Only during the daytime when they're mostly sleeping. So uh, we went to measure. Uh, ectopic fat accumulation in liver and uh, gastric anemia, so as you can see, uh, uh, diet indeed induced, uh, increased the fat content in both liver and the gastric anemia, and uh, this increase is largely, if not completely, prevented by blockade of pediatric kinase. And if you measure the mitochondrial DNA, we saw similar stuff. Mitochondrial content of DNA is was decreased by the hyperdiet, and this decrease was prevented by pediatric cancer inhibitor. And oxidative stress, too, this was induced by the hyperdiet in both liver and gastrocnemius, and this induction was prevented by pediatric cancer inhibitor. Excuse me. The conclusion is here. Uh, the first one is the increased basal AKT-dependent insulin signaling plays an important role in development of insulin resistance induced by the hyperdiet. And the appropriate blunting of insulin signaling can prevent or reverse insulin resistance induced by the hyperdiet. So next question is, oh, sorry. Is it does hyperglycemia induce, oh, sorry. Yeah, the weight, uh, the weight actually tend to decrease, didn't reach statistics significance because the time is very short, only one week in treatment with uh, LY compound. It's, they tend to decrease. It's not, didn't reach the statistical significance. Okay. Footing the two tend to increase a little bit, but not, didn't reach the statistical significance at that time because it's only one week. We call everything together. I didn't see dramatic change yet. Uh, during that week, the food intake, if you, uh, let's see, on the hyperdiet alone, 
this increase, okay, that increase is partially or it's kind of bring back down to normal. It's, but it didn't reach the statistics significance. Even the hypothetical alone, actually, we didn't see, we didn't see uh, like statistical significance. It's increase, tend to increase. So the reverse also the same thing. We saw the trend, but we didn't see the statistical significance. So that's why I didn't uh, mention that. So next question is about uh, glucose induction of insulin resistance. It's because it's been shown repeatedly by a lot of people, insulin clients, whatever, see hyperglycemia can induce insulin resistance. So we want to do a simple experiment with non-obese diabetes diabetic mice. It's uh, uh, caused by autoimmune disease, these mice. We treat the animal with only long-acting insulin reagent, so datomic. It's only long-acting. We're starting from a low dose and they treat for two weeks. Eventually, have to use extremely high level of insulin, like 20 units per kg, to bring down the blood glucose to a normal level. This is the untreated uh, type, of, type 1 diabetes and it's treated. And then we measure the insulin sensitivity in these mice. As you can see, these normal mice responded to acute insulin challenge very well. This is the NOD mice without the insulin treatment. They responded pretty well, too, uh, even though the magnitude is did, uh, didn't reach the normal level, but uh, decreased very well. The hyper diet, uh, the, the insulin treatment, the group didn't respond to insulin at all. So, in the conclusion of this policy, we believe at least in this model, hyperglycemia actually, this model will have hyperlipidemia too. The fatty acid increase too. They respond to insulin treatment very quick, very well. But if we treat them with thiamine, uh, even bring down the glucose level to normal level. They don't do respond to acute insulin challenge at all. So we measure some other indexes, including uh, Tg content in these mice. This is untreated type one, type one diabetes. The Tg content decreases in both uh, liver and the muscle, even though it didn't reach the statistical significance. But this in, this decrease was uh, fat content was increased by that treatment with insulin. Mitochondrial content, as you can see here, uh, without treatment, the, the mitochondrial content maybe tend to increase a little bit. But if you treat them with thiamine, the mitochondrial being actually is decreased in the liver, at least in muscle, we did not reach statistic significance. So next, we measure the oxidative stress, as you can see here. If you treat uh, the type one diabetes animal with thiamine, uh, actually cause oxidative stress in the liver. Muscle is not much important. Oh, so that dose is one daily, only one dose, only one dose in the morning. Yeah, yeah. Every day increase a little bit. Every day increase a little bit, and they eventually have to increase to about 20 unit per kg to bring down the blood glucose level to a normal level. So only one dose a day. It uh, function at about 14 hours a day. So the conclusions here is uh, we think insulin resistance does not occur in the NOD mice, and uh, even though they have a hyperglycemia or hyperlipidemia, both actually we measure the, the free fatty acid level is increased significantly, and the excess exposure to insulin causes insulin resistance. This the so-called access we use data means is trying to gradually bring down the uh, glucose level, and that definitely can save access maybe 
next one is we try to ask another question because people think hypothetical causes insulin resistance, right? So we're going to uh, ask this question, can hypothetical induce insulin resistance in the insulin presence of insulin deficiency? We get, in, get rid of insulin first to a certain level. And this is a, a result. We use, this is black six mice. Uh, they are fed either normal diet or hyper diet. Some of animals, we treat them uh, with STG, about 50 milligram per kg for one week first, induce a moderate insulin deficiency. The blood glucose level is about, uh, the fasting blood glucose level here, so, oh, sorry. it's about uh, between 200 to 300. So they have a severe insulin deficiency, but it's not absolute deficiency. And then we feed them a hyper diet this for eight weeks, as you can see here. <coughs> The plasma insulin level, this is a high fat diet alone. This is uh, SDZ treated. The, the insulin level is much lower uh, because of SDZ treatment. And then we measure the glucose. As you can see here, this have, you can say it's moderate or too severe insulin. This is a fasting blood glucose level. <coughs> and then we measure the insulin sensitivity by ATT. This is normal mice respond to insulin treatment very well, as predicted. This is a <coughs> Hyperdiagnosis did not respond to insulin at all. This is mice <coughs> with STC treatment plus hyperdiet. They responded much, much better than the hyperdiet alone, even though not as good as the normal one. And we have data to show to explain why it is not as good as uh, normal mice. One reason probably is because of relatively severe insulin deficiency decreased CoTA4 uh, expression and activation. That's one possibility. Another possibility is that this animal still has insulin anyway. So if you have hyperdiet, you still have insulin, it can cause insulin resistance. And we have some other blood detail data published in those papers. If you guys are interested, you can dig into the paper. <coughs> Sorry. So actually, next question could be very obvious. But uh, I don't think everybody, if think, anybody think about this question. If you think that insulin plays such a big role in the, in the development of insulin resistance type 2 diabetes, so a simple question, can you give insulin to induce type 2 diabetes animals? Actually, we didn't ask this question uh, at the beginning. We get this question or answer as, uh, very accidentally. I was doing some collaboration with my neighboring lab to do some cancer you know, to see whether the presence of insulin can increase cancer development and metastasis in aging mice. Actually, we found out when after we treat animals with very low dose, no one, normal mice actually, with 0.5 unit kg every day, after uh, two to four weeks, those mice actually develop not only insulin resistance, actually the basal uh, fasting blood glucose level is very significantly increased from about 90 to 120. So to reach the, to increase the basal blood glucose level, you have to first you have to not only insulin resistance, but also you have a relative insulin deficiency. This animal actually, normal mice actually, on high fat diet, if you give the insulin, they develop with almost like typical type 2 diabetes. But we're still trying to figure out, and those repeat experiments also do in different animal models, like six models and maybe 129 too. So uh, I'm not, not going to present that data because I haven't fig completely figured it out yet. But uh, our initial answer here is we believe just give exogenous insulin itself, it can cause type, typical type 2 diabetes in animals. So in humans, if it's true, in humans could happen too, but in humans, the problem is that if you treat them with insulin, 
uh, you know that you have to add more and more, and more insulin. People always blame it it's because insulin resistance is getting worse and worse. But it could be insulin actually destroy your endogenous insulin more and more, and they eventually get it, you have to more have to more and more insulin. You get into the adversary deficiency insulin deficiency for much faster with in comparison to the people without insulin treatment. So anyway, this we still work on this way. <clears throat> so conclusion here is insulin is required for induction of insulin resistance by the high fat diet. And the next one is glucose or fat alone probably cannot cause insulin resistance without insulin. And administration of exogenous uh, insulin at low dose every day, I believe it can cause insulin resistance and relatively insulin deficiency that means typical type 2 diabetes. This is very consistent, uh, kind of uh, interesting to some uh, with the early result, this is 60 years ago, some people did a very beautiful experiment. If they get rid of insulin, the atherosclerosis actually totally prevent or reversed. So that's a long time ago. I said this beautiful work it has been totally forgotten, actually. They did it not only in rabbit, but also in mice, and, uh, not rice, rabbit, and the dog, and the chicken, too. So right now, I talk a little bit. Up to this stage, we talk all oh, talk about the animal models. I talk a little bit about uh, cellular models. This is actually the experiment that started us to do this work. And uh, we, at the beginning, we incubated primary hepatocytes with insulin for uh, 24 hours with different dose. And then we will measure mitochondrial mass. As you can see here, after 24 hours of incubation with insulin, mitochondrial mass is decreased. And the mitochondrial it's a time, time dependent. Yeah, it takes more than 12 hours. So 12, so 12 hours probably doesn't cause much trouble. But uh, after 24 hours, mitochondrial mass is significantly decreased. And the mitochondrial DNA too, as you can see here, after 24 hours, decreased. And the oxygen consumption we measure with uh, seahorse, uh, oxygen consumption was decreased by insulin. This one didn't decrease, we don't know. Anyway, this is the result. ATP content was decreased by the prolonged exposure to insulin, and we measure uh, H2O2 in, uh, level in the hepatocytes after incubation of insulin for 24 hours. This also increased. And the people have shown prolonged exposure to insulin can cause an increase of uh, H2O2 production in many other kinds of cells, actually, in endothelial cells and the muscle cells, too. The conclusion here is the prolonged exposure to insulin suppressed mitochondria made by biogenesis and increased OS production in cultured hepatocytes. Next one is about autophagy. I talk a little bit about autophagy. Autophagy is a self-digestion process in your body. Okay, it's uh, usually uh, increased during fasting stage. We need to digest our own component to provide fuel. But it turned out maybe this is a very important mechanism to turn over all the machineries in your body, including macroproteins and uh, cellular organelles like mitochondria or ER2. I just pre present a little bit of it here. Here is the animal with uh, normal diet or hyper diet. We measure one of the uh, markers, ATG8, is LC32 uh, to 1 ratio. As you can see here, the ratio was decreased by the hyper diet, suggesting autophagy was suppressed by hyper diet in the liver. This is only a liver, okay? And then we measure some other markers. The long-living protein, like P62, if autophagy decrease, it will accumulate. That's exactly what we see. Another one is protein is also some non-specific protein. When autophagy decrease, they will start accumulating. So this is a 
as you can see here, the, all this together suggest autophagy is suppressed in the liver by the hepatic diet. And also we have data to show in the muscle it's the same. But it's interesting, actually, in the fat cells, probably the opposite. We only got some results a few days ago, very convincingly. Autophagy actually is increased in the fat when it is suppressed in the liver and the muscle. It's kind of opposite. So this is, we did a little bit of mito, or mitochondrial autophagy. So as you can see, this is primary hepatocytes. This is the uh, control, this is insulin. This is the starvation. In, we mark the uh, mitochondria with mitotrack, red color, and autophagy with uh, GFP. So when autophagy is increased, the mitochondria, red color, and uh, uh, autophagy marker GFP will merge together to produce these yellow dots. As you can see here, this autophagy is increased by starvation or glucagon, and then insulin suppress the autophagy. <coughs> So the conclusion up to this point is like this. Autophagy is suppressed in the liver of mice with hyperdiet-induced insulin-resistant hyperlimia in both liver and hepatocytes. And the suppressed autophagy is maybe likely a contributor to the insulin resistance because when autophagy is decreased, we're going to have accumulation of odor damage in mitochondria. So that's why maybe when we, since our data show insulin hyperlimia affect both biogenesis and autophagy-dependent removal, so if when you match only mass in those people or animal, the mitochondrial mass could be increased or decreased or not changed. That's what exactly what we see. Everybody has different results, probably because there's two processes manipulated or regulated by something. But the, <coughs> the bottom line is here, the question here is how this fat is necessary to cause insulin resistance. Most people believe. And then when now we talk about insulin, it's so essential in causing insulin resistance. How does this connect together? So we went to uh, dig some literature, as you can see here. Fat can cause insulin resistance very acutely, actually. If you feed people with high-fat diet only four hours, six hours, and then you measure the muscle, H202 emission or insulin sensitivity, it can induce insulin resistance H202 emission just in hours, very quickly. And so definitely we cannot uh, use the fat accumulation or mitochondrial number or whatever change to explain those phenomena, right? Because mitochondrial, the fat accumulation takes time and mitochondrial uh, removal or production is not going to happen in hours. So definitely you cannot explain that with what we see. And also ectopic fat accumulation does not cause insulin resistance all the time. It's like a fat liver, fat in the muscle, doesn't cause insulin resistance always. And the ectopic <coughs> Even the ectopic fat, like fat component is very important because fat is in the fat tissue doesn't cause trouble, but fat get into muscle and the liver cause trouble. Even though, see, they do not necessarily always cause insulin resistance. How to explain this? So we went to dig some literature, and we found the first one is definitely if we overload people a mitochondria with fat, it can produce much a lot of more protons. It can overload the mitochondria and they increase member potential. That can cause OS production. But another mechanism here, it's been long been shown that active fatty long chain isoquate, active fatty acids actually can inhibit adenine nucleotide translocator. It's necessary for shuttling ADP into mitochondria and ATP out of mitochondria. It's a long time ago, people did a very beautiful experiment. It's a long chain isoquate can suppress this process. So when you're old, we have too much this long chain isoquate. 
With launching SOK, can theoretically inhibit ANT, and then you have decreased ADP in the mitochondria, and then when ADP is not available, compound together with overloading, this definitely it can easily induce uh, increased mitochondrial membrane potential and RS production. So we want to measure some indexes, for example, uh, mitochondrial content of ADP, ATP, launching SOCOA. Uh, we use some uh, SGPLC system to purify this first, and they use mass spectrometry to, to quantify each of these components. As you can see, uh, this is a ADP in the mitochondria. This is a ATP in the mitochondria. This is launching SOCOA. This is under normal diet. And on the high-fat diet, as you can see, ADP was decreased in the mitochondria, ATP was increased. And this long chain, all the long-chain coa the, the most common ones, palmitoil, oil, sterile oil, and oleo-oil-CoA, they're all increased in the mitochondria. And also, we did a similar experiment in cultured cells, uh, which are pro like, uh, pro exposed to uh, oleic acid. And we saw similar stuff. The, Active fatties in mitochondria increase when ADPs decrease. ADPs increase. No, I didn't show in the animal. We show did show in the uh, uh, primary cells. After exposed for 24 hours, ADP content decrease. Uh, here is in the animal. Is the animal in the liver, and we saw this is what we see, and the key here is probably the absolute number activity of here is not important. The important thing is ADP ATP ratio. This show the shuttling of ADP ATP. What happened? But in the in the cells, I don't know about this exactly. Uh, yeah, you're, you're right. The after 24 hours, increase all the ADP content decrease, and actually we saw ADP also decrease. The ratio ADP ATP ratio is decreased. That means no matter what happened, absolute number of ADP ADP. It's uh, the key here is the ratio. You have to have ADP to convert the proton gradient into ATP. That's what. The, when we treat animals with STZ, actually in this mice, in the liver, actually this content is reversed, as you can see here. And then when the non-chain is decreased. So we went to look like the something, the fatty acid oxidation plays a role here. So we went to measure some uh, basic genes, key genes involved in fatty acid synthesis. Uh, fat acid, uh, like fatty acid synthesis is uh, uh, involved in activation of fatty acids. One of them is non-chain acyl-CoA synthesis is one and five. This is in cytosol, this is in the, in the mitochondria. And then in this uh, high-fat diet mice, in, the, in this, uh, as you can see here, high-fat diet alone maybe increase this one. This one is not that much. But if we treat an animal with STZ, this decreased, also decreased. And uh, it's been previously shown that uh, at least this one is uh, insulin-dependent adipocytes. But in, in the liver, actually, it's not been shown before. And here's the primary hypothesis. When we treat the cells with insulin and then match these two genes, as you can see, it is both gene expression of 
MR levels increased, and this increase was prevented by PH mechanism inhibitor, as you can see, but not by mechanism inhibitor PD, maybe a little bit, but not as dramatic as this one. So <clears throat> put everything together, we think excess insulin actually can affect very acutely affect the activation of long chain acyl maybe long chain fatty acids, activate them and then get into mitochondria and inhibit ANT maybe and then produce ours and then induce insulin resistance. This could happen very quickly in hours and matter. And then if you have prolonged exposure to excess insulin, this can affect the mitochondrial biogenesis and the mitochondrial autophagy dependent on removal. This can further aggravate oxidative stress and the insulin resistance. And uh, could, finally, I want to put some overarching hypothesis. This I only put on recently together. I don't know whether it makes sense to you guys. Or not. It, make, it makes sense to me. When the fat in the blood first, the fat need to get into muscle cells or hepatocytes, right? This transport of the fat has to get into cells has to be activated by long-chain acyl-synthesis. And the in the muscle in the heart is controlled by CD36 in the fat, in the liver, mostly it's regulated by fatty acid binding protein 1. You believe it or not, insulin is necessary for promoting this translocation or activation of CD36. It's almost like group 4. Without insulin in the muscle or heart, this CD36 cannot be activated. So the fatty acid uptake in this in muscle or fat is severely uh, inhibited. And also, this one, fatty acid normally, binding protein normally is activated by fat, free fatty acids. But in the presence of a high insulin level, insulin can promote it too. But normally, it's mostly regulated by free fatty acids. And then this long-chain isoprosynthetases, insulin, just we just shown, it can activate the expression of this active long-chain isoprosynthesis expression. When this happens, this can uh, increase the uh, activation, uptake activation of long chain isoprene into mitochondria. When this gets in mitochondria, it can inhibit the ANT and then change ADP ATP ratio. And they get in muscle, <coughs> cause oxidative stress and insulin resistance. But the insulin resistance in the muscle may not cause global insulin resistance. This is consistent with probably, for example, if you're not even insulin receptor in muscles, it doesn't cause insulin, global insulin resistance. But in the liver, as you, you can see, once you get into uh, oxidative stress insulin resistance, liver will export more glucose through gluconogenesis. And the glucose is necessary and sufficient to cause insulin secretion. And the insulin secretion eventually becomes hyper, continuous hyperinsulinemia. This will come back to promote all other functions of the insulin as through a pernicious <coughs> cycle. And if this lasts long enough, this can affect mitochondrial production, autophagy, and they come to aggravate this one. So as you see here, insulin, cause insulin resistance, require fat and also glucose. To cause global insulin resistance, you have to have glucose because glucose is necessary and essential and sufficient to cause insulin resistance. So that's why maybe whenever you have a hepatic insulin resistance, you're going to have a global one. But if you have muscle insulin resistance, you may, not, you may or may not have a global insulin resistance. Most likely, if the muscle alone, you're not going to have global insulin resistance. So, blood glucose is necessary for causing those trouble. 
because it's necessary for instrument secretion. This is supported by some uh, other experiments. Some people did, for example, knockout, some glucogenic genes, for example, so to so T1 or 32, 33. When they knock out, the glucogenesis decreased. And then overall instrument secretion decreased, and global instrument sensitivity increased too. But we're still trying to get more evidence, do some more experiments to support this idea. This is glucose. It's necessary for causing insulin resistance mediated by insulin. So finally, I want to remind you again, I, th I think that insulin resistance is, uh, is caused by excess exposure to insulin. And the insulin resistance is actually a protection. The primary or the root of the problem of this is the excess exposure, excess calories. So if we want to get rid of all the problem we have with insulin resistance and its many associated problems, you have to get rid of this root. So we find the cure, okay? <laughs> if we cannot find that way, we have to do something to help to block the excess insulin signaling by pharmaceutical stuff or just change the behavior, for example, to avoid any excess exposure to insulin. One of the easiest way to do is, I think, low carbohydrate diet because insulin secretion needs carbohydrate. If you don't have carbohydrate, you're not gonna have too much insulin. That's very easy to do. But for many other people, then I cannot do it. We have to develop something, insulin signaling blockade to, to block the insulin signaling. This is, I think, is the root of insulin resistance in our body. But outside our body, the root is excess calorie. So with that, I would like to thank the people who work in my lab or used to work in my lab, this group. They have done a fabulous job. This is my mentor and also previous collaborators, and there's a lot of collaborators. And finally, I want to thank my funding source from American Heart, American Diabetes, and ADDK, and also we did some work with GSK and Afrogenics. Finally, I think everything is a matter of balance. Balance is everything. <laughs> okay, with that, I would like to answer any question. <coughs> <coughs> That's a good question. The high fat that we typically use is 58% of fat. It's mostly fat, saturated fat. I, I don't exactly know the components of that. But you believe or not, the so-called high fat diet we use or everybody study is also high sucrose diet. 26% of it's high sucrose. But we only mention high fat diet. Actually, some people, my woman postdoc in China, she did some experiment. She tried to use fat to induce insulin resistance obesity uh, without adding glucose or sucrose, but she couldn't do it. So they had to add at least 80% uh, of sucrose to induce obesity or insulin resistance. So when we're talking about high fat diet induced obesity, actually, it's high sucrose. It's not fat, but we're always used to it, high fat diet. And think about it if you use 100% or whatever, the diet to reduce sucrose, I'm pretty confident it's not gonna happen. The first insulin is gonna happen. Uh, actually, the, the person who developed this hyper diet like from uh, like research diet is Dr. Richard Survey, and he used to be, we are similar in, in, the, in the same department. They tried to make the hyper diet with a lot of fat without the sucrose. They couldn't make it because this cannot form the palate. So they finally end up adding some starch, like sucrose, to make a pellet. And eventually, they totally forget about the sucrose part, play a huge role, probably it's essential 
without a sucrose, then we'll humidify the floor based on habit. <laughs> okay. The final skin? Great question, actually. It's well explained here. I said glucose actually is essential for this business. And the gluconeogenesis actually is normally is the only source of the glucose in our body during fasting, and it is controlled by FOX or whatever. So whenever you have increased gluconeogenesis, you're going to have insulin resistance because you can induce insulin secretion. So whenever you block gluconeogenesis, you're going to have good insulin sensitivity because it reduces your glucose production, your insulin secretion decrease. The problem here is if you block glucogenesis, then calorie will go to something else, something else like fat. Fat eventually causes trouble from the beginning over here. So in my opinion, so if you want to block this old pathway, it's fine. But if you block this effect, perhaps temporary, you can see it just like a quarter trial, whatever. It's not a many other drugs can reduce something cholesterol or blood glucose level. The effect is over short. The root of the problem is the positive energy imbalance. If you don't get rid of that one, whatever we do, we can get temporary results. Eventually, we'll run into trouble. So we have to get the, something the closest thing to the root. In our vivo, in vivo, I believe insulin is the closest to the problem. If you block insulin, it affects all the pathways. Cellular growth, but if you block gluconeogenesis or fat, it's only one pathway, so yeah, definitely it's going to upregulate or influence other pathways. So I believe we have to get closer to the root as possible. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah, according to here, yeah. Okay, that's a very good problem. Uh, if I get it right, it's, uh, it's uh, either thing like this. Uh, in the present, that's what the people think of the so-called differential insulin resistance. In the liver, you you promote. 
Yeah, you promote lipogenesis, but you cannot suppress glucogenesis through FOX1, just so-called uh, differential insulin resistance. But this is ins differential insulin resistance probably, I have some figure here, let me see. It's a probably misinterpretation. I have very strong evidence to show here. Oh, sorry, take a long time. Huh? Sorry, it's, I have a slide. Oh, yeah, this is one. This is one. This one can uh, explain that. The, the, the development of type 2 diabetes is, uh, takes at least, uh, for example, 20, uh, like, uh, about 12 to 13 years to reach the relative insulin deficiency, okay? So right now, just think about it. Before you have diabetes, you have hyperinsulinemic insulin resistance. Once you have ins relative insulin deficiency, blood glucose levels are to increase, okay? But if you compare, for example, here, to normal subject, even during the time you have a obvious diabetes, the insulin-promoted function is still way above normal. So they make impression, for example, insulin-promoted lipogenesis is still there, but it cannot control blood glucose level because the blood glucose level is higher. That's because if we compare to the normal subject, but if we compare to the same subject earlier stage, all the insulin-promoted functions really start to decrease. This is key is here, even if you have insulin deficiency, you cannot control blood glucose level normal. The insulin promoted function, including AKT or whatever, secondary, yes, it may above normal, but it's still significantly decreased because if we use normal control to compare. If you compare the same subject, it's so different. So I think we have a very, it's a big problem over here when we're using uh, so-called normal uh, subject to use a control, so we, that's how we get a differential insulin resistance. When you cannot control blood glucose level normal through AK, like AKT, FOX01, but it's still promoting lipogenesis. I think the problem is here, just because it's control. It's not, it's, it's, it's not really, uh, it's not true, you know, you know, about it really happening. So AKT, yes, it's actively in comparison to normal, but it's not sufficient anymore. So including not sufficient to, prom to suppress glucogenesis. That's why they have increased uh, uh, glucogenesis and have hyperglycemia. And you believe in other people, most people, no matter how big they are, one of the first signs to see doctor, uh, see doctor is because they lose weight. Because uh, even though they have increased lipogenesis in comparison to normal, their lipogenesis or fat accumulation will start to decrease. If, I don't know whether I answer your question or not. <laughs>
it's a great question, actually. The reason I went to Amgen to give a talk like uh, two months ago, they tried to get some uh, insulin receptor uh, antibody from them. Actually, they had that, but they don't want to give it to me. So they told me there's some commercialized insulin receptor. We're trying to do the insulin receptor antibody to do the same. But we have a better way to do it. We do another way is use uh, the free insulin receptor uh, isoform. It's, uh, we're trying to use uh, this insulin, uh, sorry, free insulin receptor isoform. Yeah. We're trying to use this one to block insulin to see what's happened. We haven't tried other yet. We're, we're working on this thing. So this is the first, most like almost first line defense. So when we have too much insulin, we get more of this uh, uh, free insulin receptor. But it's still a hypothesis. We haven't proven it yet. Even though there's a lot of support from a human study. Okay. There. Six. 